Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get the opportunity to learn, to study, to grow, to be reminded, to be corrected of the truth in your word. I pray that even as we wrap up our conversation from the book of Titus and by extension, the books of ministry in Timothy and Titus, I pray that we are reminded of what counts. I pray that we are able to live here better equipped as representatives of God, even to our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Welcome everyone again to Journey Through the Epistles um, with Daniel Bababa. My name is Daniel Bababa. <laughs> and welcome to Titus Part 4. We are completing yet another book um don't get too used to it our next book is second corinthians and someone was asking me yesterday how long do i think we'll be in second corinthians and the answer is it has not been revealed only my father <laughs> only my father knows the times and the seasons appointed so i do not know when when we're going to when we're going to get done with that book but it is going to be long it's 13 chapters if i remember my bible correctly yes it's the 13 chapters and a lot of those chapters are beautiful and i'm not going to rush them so we're going to have fun in second corinthians we're probably going to camp there for a couple months i can at least see that even if it was one chapter a day that's going to take us at least three months um i don't have such a track record of one chapter a day so i'm not sure how long it's going to take but it's going to be fun um just couple housekeeping <laughs> We're not going to meet next week and the week after. Is that summertime again where everything is wild and everybody's schedules is up in the air? Um, next week, I have an engagement. Not literal engagement. Like, <laughs> I have to be somewhere. Um, my aunt is celebrating her birthday. And then the week after that, uh, <laughs> said, I, have an I thought we were married. Are you married twice? No, I'm married once and for all. <laughs> I'm very happy. I'm happily married. Thank you. I'm not looking for another engagement. Um, <laughs> uh, my wife and I, no, she's not, she's not coming with me on that journey. Unfortunately, um, we have other trips planned for the summer. <laughs> and then the Saturday after I am also meant to be somewhere else. So we're going to start first Corinthians. Let me look at my calendar on the 24th of June. So you have a two-week break. Use it to catch up on whatever you've not caught up on. Use it to prepare questions for me that you can ask me. Second Corinthians. Oh, did I say first? Okay, we'll start Second Corinthians on that day. Um, prepare for any questions. Or you can even read Second Corinthians just to have an idea before we start. Uh, it will help. And write questions even before you start so that as we go through, you're like, oh, I'll wait. And then hopefully I answer them. If I don't answer them, you can ask me as well. What I would try, emphasis on try, because I know Buki is here and Anne is here. I will try to upload Jude and Second Peter. I will try. If I do, I'll put it in the in the broadcast messages so you can listen to it. Because my plan, I really hope that by the time we start Second Corinthians, all we have left is Second Corinthians, Revelations, and then Romans. Right? Um, it sounds like it's three books, but. <laughs> Like, like some people have said, we might be here till this same time next year. Only God knows. <laughs> so I will try to upload Jude. It's just a chapter. So that's one teaching. 
second peter um i did the first chapter once so maybe i'll just rebrief it and then do chapter two and chapter three very very similar to jude scaringly similar actually so it shouldn't be so hard to to go through so that's the plan um at least for the next couple weeks uh today we're just going to wrap up the book of titus summarize all we've learned from first timothy second timothy and titus and then i would open the ground for (laughs) i know i know i have promised (laughs) it is well i will try (laughs) and open the room for questions all right are we ready so bring out your bibles if you haven't already um get all your notepads writing materials titus 3 verse 1 i'm reading from the nkjv after i drink water all right so in case you don't remember the emphasis on titus like we've said what is paul's emphasis on titus how christian living should should actually reflect in a society right titus can be summarized as in quotes and you call yourself a christian (laughs) that is literally the book of titus and you call yourself a christian let no one say that that is the summary of titus if anyone should ask you see daniel said the summary of titus is no one should ever say and you call yourself a christian um and so last week we looked at the things that were proper for sound doctrine right we looked at older men younger men older women younger women servants um we looked at what the grace of god teaches us that is pretty much the running theme all through this book again remember it's against the backdrop of a very very perverse society the cretans who were known in the entire known world for being liars for being mischievous for being beast brutal beast this was the birthplace of zeus and so that also comes with religious um bragging and all of that and that's the culture where these people were getting saved and so it almost seems as not almost the darker the environmental context the more important it is that christians distinguish themselves from such a society um and that says a lot for many of us if not all of us in the world we live in today that distinction is a huge part of our salvation story that distinction is a big part of our evangelism right like we say yes you will still need to preach the gospel but do not underestimate how much your conduct verifies or validates your message we read that last week let all you do reflect the seriousness and the integrity of your teaching all you do let it show by not just by what you say but let what you do let it be a clear message to others that you really believe that there is a world to come that you really believe that there is life after death and you really believe that the best way to prepare for that kind of reality is in jesus christ today we're just going to continue from that same thing it's a very short chapter um and so let's let's start so verse one now that we've talked about all sorts of contexts now he describes how they should live as citizens 
He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. Of course, just like we read in Ephesians, the context or in Peter as well, the context is what's in the Lord. As much as it aligns with God, be a good citizen. Don't be rebellious. So, of course, injustice is is re- is re- is not in the Lord. So that doesn't mean you say, "Oh, what about those protesters that are fighting for justice?" No, that is still allowed, right? But don't be a bad citizen. Don't be a citizen that violates um, things that you should do. It says in verse two, "Speak evil of no one." to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing all humility to all men. It's the same thing, right? Be known as these kinds of people. Remind the church that they ought to be good citizens. Remind the church that they shouldn't blaspheme, speak badly of people, that they should be peaceful people, gentle people, humble people. And if this is not our reputation as a church, then there is something wrong. We've missed out something. It is for we ourselves, and this is a beautiful reason. Whenever you, you, you're reminded, be humble. Whenever you're reminded, be kind. Whenever you're reminded, be forgiven. The analogy that's almost always used is to remember that you were no different. For we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another in romans i'm going to talk more about the flesh and the sin nature and what exactly the indwelling of the spirit has done to the sin nature but for now it's pretty clear that before christ we all even the best of us still had these weaknesses and that's just the truth no man in christ sorry no no man outside of christ can live above sin no man outside of christ we're going to talk about why that is and for, um the, sh- the short answer is because we don't have the spirit of god you might get it right in one area but sin will always character even the people in christ john says i write this to you that you may not sin but if you sin you have an advocate that pleads your case before the father jesus christ the righteous right and so it will really really help your love walk or your walk in humility to remember that save the spirit of god you are no different from those people that you see when next you see the, a an unbeliever being an unbeliever don't don't react with self-righteousness don't react with how can they this culture self they are just celebrating all the it's like okay they are in sin what are they expected to do outside the revelation of the love of god and the will of god and the grace of god and the spirit of god in your heart you will be a part of them i hope you realize that or not only that you were a part of them you were somebody say oh no even when i was in the world i didn't do as bad you're not serious <laughs> That is the height of self-righteousness. They went out. I wasn't even that bad. Okay. But you were a sinner. If you if God should expose what was in your heart, yes, you didn't do some things, but some of the things you thought, even just the pride alone, 
to say such a statement it shows that you still need the cleansing work of god in your life and so as believers always remember that the only thing that has differentiated you from the evil and the scum in this world is the grace of god and it should shape your your perspective towards it yes you would hate sin as much as god does you would you would okay i would i would i would get to that what was i saying yes you would hate sin as much as god does but you would realize that these are people that are lost these are people that like like paul would say the god of this world has blinded their eyes lest they come to the knowledge of the glory of the son of god amen and so when he asked what about unbelievers that literally do not sin in any vulgar express way because of their moral values how do you explain to them that no man outside christ can live above sin i think i answered this earlier before that if there is a god the very fact that you are indifferent to that is pride right even if it's not a clear violation of the law the first and the biggest sin right it didn't start from yes you can say it was disobedience but what was that act it was autonomy what adam and eve did in the garden beyond it being a dis a, a, a rejection or a, a disobedient act it was the pursuit of autonomy that is actually mankind's greatest sin again we'll talk about that in romans but think about it what was this what was the idea that the moment you it says no you won't die this was the word of the devil you won't die it says you will be as god knowing good and evil meaning you won't need god to tell you what is good and what is bad so you can even these very people that reject god but in quote do not sin it's still the very same idea they have become like toyosi said in chat a god to themselves you won't need god you will be the one to decide what is good and what is evil and what does it then say it says eve looked at the tree and she desired she saw it was good for eating and able to make one wise and she desired it and so what were those desires it was a desire to depend on self it was a desire to live outside the daily guidelines of god's wisdom and to become a rule unto your own a rule unto your own and that is and has constantly been mankind's greatest sin that i can do life without god that is perhaps the biggest sin beyond lying beyond and every other thing is just an offshoot it is just an expression of man living without god so even people that try to in quote live by their conscience try to love their neighbor as themselves the very fact that they are doing all of this to prove that they don't need god is rebellion in itself so i guess for people that in quote do not do anything wrong um even before you can even talk about their thoughts right <laughs> like if there is because when you're having a conversation with someone about sin or something wrong the only reason that even matters is because there is an expectation of good 
and there is a coming judgment. If there was no coming judgment, it really doesn't matter if you do what is good or what is bad. I, I hope you get that. How do they, how do you get them to the, so for there to be a coming judgment, there has to be a judge. That judge is not judging based on just actions. And so that's where the whole idea of thoughts and all of that, you can take that route. But ultimately, a person who lives life outside God is in rebellion to God. It doesn't really matter what they do or what they do. That very fact that like Eve, you say, I don't need God to tell me right and wrong. That is rebellion. What about those that believe that God exists but not Christ? So you have to, that's a whole different topic of apologetics. You help them understand that God has revealed himself in Christ. Um, if they start to ask about multiple religions, blah, blah, blah. So if you have, if someone has revealed themselves in a certain way, it's almost disrespectful in a sense to then, and like Paul, Paul says God permitted or God had mercy on times of ignorance. So you don't even have to even bash people that, that are worshipping other gods out of whatever reason and haven't heard the gospel and stuff like that bring it home you yourself if there is a god have you th thought to find out who this god is right um because many of these times these things are more excuses very few times you find someone who is genuinely wrestling with that question and if you do it's actually a very it's a lot better conversation to have than someone who is trying to to just evade and evade and evade but anyways um where were we so yes i was saying that a big motivation we have to loving people to being kind and to gently leading them to the gospel is to remember that we too were once like that maybe not to the same level of depravity some of us some of us maybe even deeper levels of depravity but before you ever say how can that's yourself because you too you were in that same boat can you you were in that same boat you were in that same boat you were in that same boat right it goes on it says but when the kindness and that's the point we were once like that but when the kindness of the love of god our savior towards man appeared not by works of righteousness that we have done but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the holy spirit so that's the point he says we ourselves we were once foolish we were once this we were once that how can they just be sleeping around <laughs> he says you yourself you were once away from god you yourself did things that now you are not proud of you yourself lived life outside the rule and and outside submission to the love and the authority of Christ. So before you, 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 you rain down on someone else, pray for them. See them as God sees them, sinners in need of a savior. Of course, there are some of these people like the Pharisees that have said, I would rather die <laughs> than submit to Christ. That's a whole different category on its own. But for the most part, People are just lost. And that's the description. Literally, that is the description of someone that it says, you're lost. Do you think about it? If someone is lost, literally, someone is like, I don't know where. Do you see, how can you not be going in there, right? That's not the response. If someone is wandering through, if you meet someone, has been wandering through a forest, 
for years and they are lost. They're trying to find their way out. How do you respond? It's sympathy. It's compassion. It's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry you've been in darkness. So come, let me show you the way home. That's how we should treat sinners. As people, literally, that the Bible describes as lost or as blinded. Look at the descriptions. In darkness, lost, blind, held captive. And so the descriptions alone teach us how we should perceive these people. How we should perceive these people. Yes, there are some that have chosen, right, to reject and to stay in their sins. And again, what does Jesus say? Dust your feet and move to the next person. But it's for those that are lost. Even if they, they, they claim to enjoy what they are doing, it doesn't change the fact that they are still lost. Be a bit more compassionate. Be a bit more prayerful. Be a bit more helpful. Don't be judgmental. Don't, don't be so overly critical of their sinful behavior. Rebuke it, reject it, right? But for them, themselves, Abba, you were once like that. <laughs> you were once like that. Apart from the kindness and the love of God, your Savior, you were once like that. See, all these sinners, eh, really, <laughs> including you, See, what a culture. And there's, you're right, what a culture. But before you go on hating the people in that culture, realize that the devil has simply held them back. And so your perspective is, how can I, I find myself in such a perverse environment. How can I help people? How can I help people? How can I help people? It says that we were saved not by the works of righteousness. I don't need to explain. We've talked about in Galatians, in Ephesians. We're not saved by anything we did. That's the point. Nothing good you did saved you. So you have no right to then rain on someone for what they are doing that is bad. It's not as if it was your goodness that got you saved. So in this context, he's giving a reason for why you should treat people with kindness and gentleness and humility. Because you were not saved by your works. So why are you judging them for their own works? Right? It says according to his mercy, he just had mercy. The common definition, it says grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. All of us, Romans 3, have gone astray. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We all deserve the judgment and the wrath of God. We are no better than the worst of the worst that we criticize. We are no better. If you understand how infinitely holy God is, you would realize that just because you don't lie, you don't steal, and you've not had premarital sex, doesn't make you that much better <laughs> than the people you criticize no no if you truly understand who god is who you are and what god has done for you you can't speak that way you can't speak that way it says not by the works of righteousness but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the spirit of god He's describing salvation. That when you got saved, you were washed. Literally, you were regenerated. You were regenerated. That word 
in the Greek is a long word. It just means to be born again, literally, <laughs> right? To be born again. And that is what salvation is. It's another, this is another cliche we don't think about. When Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, he says, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was describing two things. Number one, how hopeless our condition was. It's so bad that unless you are born again, this current life is condemned. It's, it's like, it's kind of like, oh, can we still use this? It says, no, it is condemned. Like, unless you get a new one, right? Kind of like when, let's say you go to a mechanic, like, oh, this brake has this, this, this failure. Like, can we fix it? And the mechanic says, no, you have to replace it. That is the life of sin we had. It was condemned. It was so bad that unless a new one came, you can't, you can't, you can't do anything with this one at all. That's what he says, the washing of regeneration. So that's on one hand, it describes the hopelessness of the human condition. And on the other hand, it describes the miraculous intervention needed. Unless God steps in. Is that mean if God don't do it, it won't get done? That's how some people describe their love life at the moment. <laughs> no, no shade. Um, um, my my condolences. But um <laughs> If God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. That is the that that was the or that was for those that are saved was the state of our lives. Unless you are born again, and many times we 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 think Nicodemus was an idiot, <laughs> like he was asking silly questions. He asked, in a sense, the right question. It was due to ignorance, but it was the right question. How can a man? be born again and that was the point you're saying that i cannot literally i can't access the kingdom of god unless i'm born again how is that even going to happen and jesus is like you're a teacher of law and you don't know these things not that the question you asked was wrong it is the right question but you should already know the answer and the answer is unless god unless god unless you are born of water and spirit the very same thing that paul uses here the washing of regeneration, right? And the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so what happened to us in Christ was not, yes, you didn't grow taller. I wish I did. <laughs> yes, you didn't, you, didn't, uh, you didn't lose belly fat. I can't relate. <laughs> but at least beyond the physical something dramatic happened something so significant something so important happened that day that you said yes to jesus you actually became a new man you say imagine if we had a baby our new bodies everybody was there because they say, ah, look at this guy he just got to that boom <laughs> look at him now <laughs> he says summer body Receive Christ. Receive Christ. That's a, that would be church slogan. Not ready for summer? Don't worry. Jesus can take it all away. The best fitness routine you can ever use. Come to Christ. Six weeks? No. We do it in one day. We do it in one hour. <laughs> Six packs in one day. Um, but anyways, <laughs> uh, we were changed. And it's something we should meditate on. We will explore this at length in Romans 6, 7, and 8. 
Paul says, with my mind, I desire to do the law of God. I see what is good and I'm like, it makes sense. Says, but I find another law in my members constantly. Says, I do the things I hate. The things I want to do, I don't do. Says, oh wretched man that I am. That's, that's the description. We're condemned. Oh wretched man. Who deliver me from this bondage? He says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. See yourself how God sees you. You are a new creation. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from the condemnation of guilt and shame. All those things I did before Christ, gone. God sees me as righteous. God sees me as holy. It's a big deal. I have communion with God. In Romans 5, it says, we have peace with God, wherein we now stand. Wherein we now stand. And so on one hand, we see sinners, not as, as some despicable, evil group of people, but as people that haven't received what we've received. We are no better save the fact that God has saved us. We're no better. We're no better. But then see yourself as, as that person that God has saved in every sense through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. He says, whom he poured on us, talking about the Spirit, abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. We've seen that in Ephesians 1.13, that when we were saved, we received the Holy Ghost of promise, that seal. It says that haven't been justified by his grace. Boys' words, right? We've been declared righteous. We've been justified on the scale of justice. Our guilt, our sin, our punishment taken away. Simply by his grace. We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is yet again, right? Titus is full of those kind of poetic moments. We read one of that last week in Titus 2 verse 11 to 14. That the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And he went on and on and on. It's the same thing here. Titus 3 verse 3 to 7. Titus 3, 3 to 7. That we ourselves were once foolish. We were once this. We were once that. But when the kindness of our Lord and God and Savior appeared, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his mercy which he poured on us, that having been justified, we are now heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is the salvation story. All of that within what context? To remind you how you ought to live. And that's what he says in verse 8. The final faithful saying. This is, this is a faithful saying. Titus 3 verse 3 to 7. Is another thing that the church. When they gathered. Remember many of people could not even read. They didn't have Bibles. And so part of the things they would say. in their A lot of their worship. Would have to involve things that they've memorized. And they keep saying to themselves. Those short phrases. Those, those poems. Those songs. This is one of them. That this is who we, are, we were, this is what God has done, and this is the hope that we have. This is Christianity in a nutshell. It says, this is a faithful saying, I want you to affirm these things constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. If you have believed the gospel, be very intentional. The word literally means to exercise your mind. Another, 
another way to translate it is to be anxious about it and of course not in a bad way but you are constantly aware that how am i living how am i living how am i living since they should be careful they should be anxious they should exercise thought to maintaining good works oh in relation to my parents how can i maintain good works in relation to my co-workers how can i maintain good works if it, that should be something that paul is saying if you are saved it should always be in your mind in relationship to my roommates how can i maintain good works in relationship to my siblings how can i maintain good works in relation to my friends to my partner how can i maintain good works it's always in your mind yes you are not saved by those works but now that you've been called a new creature how can i live it out how can i live it out how can i live it out since these things are good and profitable to men events is avoid foolish disputes genealogies contentions and strivings about the law just like he told the people of galatia right don't don't get caught up back into because the idea there is if you should be careful to maintain good works what kind of good works are we talking about and he's like don't get caught up in the jewish requirement that's not he's saying that's not what i'm talking about it's not about genealogies trying to trace who is the son of who how can no it's not about um strivings about the law it, the, he's saying this has nothing to do with circumcision this has nothing to do with um uh body shaving or or any of those things or the food you eat or stuff like no that's not what he's, he's saying they are unprofitable and useless what i'm talking about is a love walk relationship with the people around you and it's the same thing we said last week that more than anything the greatest sign of genuine salvation and spiritual maturity is this right here how well do they walk in love nothing says more about a person's maturity than this how well do they walk in love how well do they walk in love and so you see someone that has been in the faith for decades more than anything the defining character of his life or her life should be oh wow these people are humble these people they just love people they just love people these people are willing to serve these people forgive they don't take things they don't hold grudges they're not offended that should be the description of a mature believer and yes of course the gifts can come in of course the knowledge of the word should be there as well but this one so important if truly the holy ghost has touched your life more than anything we should see it in your character we should see it in your character should see it in your character it is reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition knowing that a person is warped and sinning being self-condemned and so paul is giving titus again pastoral apostolic authority that if there's anyone in the church that is trying to divide the church through false doctrine correct him like especially what he just said in the previous verse judaizers people that are still teaching the law teaching circumcision teaching works he says correct them the first time correct them the second time if they don't listen it goes back to what i was saying about i was when i was answering Anne's question about discipleship 
when I talk about evangelism, God treats stubborn people quite differently. God loves everyone. But if a person is willfully rejecting, there's a way we treat. First of all, as believers, excommunication. As teachers, it says you reject them. We've warned you the first time. We warned you the second time. He says, no, I will still teach circumcision. He says, cast them out. Knowing that what? They are still self-condemned. And I love that. Because it's easy to just read that and you you don't get why Paul brought in self-condemnation. Implicitly, what he's saying is that anyone that even after the salvation of God still feels a need to earn righteousness by works, it's self-condemnation. Anyone that still feels a need to, to, to put down others because of something they do, I fast more than you, <laughs> so God loves me more. I pray more than you, so I'm more spiritual. Paul says you are actually revealing a flaw in yourself, an insecurity that what? Something in you still condemns you because if you've truly understood that, I couldn't earn it. And Jesus has paid it all. First and second admonition is from this chapter. I'm not sure I get the question. And but, but anyways, you can explain more in the chat. But if you truly understand that, yes, when Titus 3 verse 10, if you truly understand that Jesus has paid it all, that there was nothing you could do to earn it, and even now, there's nothing you are, like, it is faith in Christ beginning to end. Oh, no, no, no. So when he says reject them after a first and second admonition, it means warn them the first time. Warn them again the second time if they still don't listen. So it's not, it's not as if there's an admonition somewhere in the text. He's saying for people that are divisive, for people that don't want to abide by the church's doctrines, warn them. Warn them again. It's kind of like what Jesus said, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. It's still, yeah, might say it's thee as well, but it's not referring to any particular thing. That's the point. Like after the first time, after the second time. So, like just to say, first time, talk to your brother one-on-one. Bros, this thing you did is not Christ-like. It says if they don't change, bring in witnesses. He says, if they still, to the accountability of friends and the church, they still don't change. Call in the elders. Bring in church authority. If they still don't change, he says, treat that person as an unbeliever. Of course, with the context of still love and hoping they change, but it doesn't change the fact that based on continuous rebellion against God, you say, ah, this is Pharaoh. This is Pharisee behavior. We would have nothing to do with it. It's different when you're struggling. It's different when you're ignorant. For you to be willfully walking against God and his laws, that is reprobacy and that is not a joke, right? That is not a joke. So that's what he's saying. That after the first time, after the second time, they still want to mess up the church with conversations on genealogies, on on requirements of the law. This is their self-condemned because they still feel a need to do these things to earn God's approval. And of course, on a milder level, we can still see that in our lives. It's something to check ourselves. Whenever you, you find security in your, in, in your works, maybe somewhere in your heart, you haven't fully received the all-sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice. Wherever you're still um, 
qualifying the quality or qualifying your righteousness that's tautology qualifying your righteousness maybe you've still not fully understood what jesus has done for you while there is a call to live a certain way while there is a call to to consistency in devotion to fervency in your walk with god to to passion and drive in ministry never in any one of those things fall into a point where it becomes another requirement it can be an assurance paul says that people who become elders who gained a good reputation it is something to like oh wow thank you god i can see fruits of my salvation and i'm excited i know that this is for real but never ever think that that is salvation in itself never ever feel that you will stand before god and just because you did so and so for his kingdom you have a right into eternity you've forgotten what it means to be saved Yes, you can stand before God and as a proud son, right, to expect, well done. Thank you, my son. You Thank you, my daughter. You've done what I asked you to do. That's fine. You can expect that reward, that, that smile on your, on your Lord's face at the end of your life. That, wow, you represented me well. That's beautiful. That is biblical. But it will never be a reason for entering in the first place. Never. And for anyone who still struggles with that, Paul is saying that you don't understand what Jesus has done. You don't understand it. You're still self-condemned. Right? You're still self-condemned. And then final verses. This is just greetings. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend the winter there. So he's telling Titus, that I would send even more people. I'll send either Artemis or Tychicus. I said Artemis. Artemis or Tychicus to come and just help you with the work. As soon as they come, 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 come and meet me so that we can spend the winter together. Right? He says, again, the same personal bond we see with Timothy. He says, send Zenas, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. So Zenas and Apollos were, of course, we all know who Apollos is right from Acts 16 but Zenas also these were probably people in the early church that were very profitable for ministry and they were currently at Crete and Paul is like give them all they need on their journey give them food give them money and send them on their journey so that they can continue their good work it says let our people learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful and I like that word I like that word he's of course you're saved but if, if there's nothing in your character, nothing in your generosity to show that, then that's unfruitful. That's unfruitful. No Christian should be unfruitful. We should constantly seek out expressions of our salvation. Financially, whether with our time, whether with our relationships, to be fruitful. And then he says, all who are with me greet you. We greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. <laughs> right um greet everybody greet the christians greet greet Anne. greet dami greet on you greet <laughs> grace be with you all amen 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 with that we bring titus to a close very short book in 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 theory or in length but very very profound in what it calls us to do as believers that perhaps there is no better sign of salvation 
in a perverse culture than character reformation. That's what he's saying. That perhaps the greatest testimony we would have to the world around us is a changed life. Is a changed life. That it, for the people of Crete, they should be able to tell without a doubt that ah, something has happened here. Why are these guys acting this way? In love, these people are not lying. They are kind. Older men are not wasting away their lives. Older women, the same thing. Younger women aren't wasting away their lives. Same thing. They're responsible. They love their husbands. The men love their wives. The servants aren't rude. They are good citizens. They are humble. It's like, what is this? That, that's, that's what Paul is saying. It's literally what it means to say the kingdom of God is on earth. That you see people live lives in a way that is very different. You're like, what is this? It's so different that it's described as another kingdom of this world entirely. And that, that has constantly been the description. When Jesus said um, that you don't have to look, there is the kingdom. Here it says the kingdom of God is within you. He's simply saying that even beginning now, that the reign of God, what God has done, it should start to show even beginning now. How? Through your actions. Through your actions. That when they look at a Christian community, they see something so radically different from regular human living that it has to be supernatural. That is what Paul is envisioning. That is what, he, what Jesus said when he said, let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. He's talking about character. Character. The same thing in John 17, that when they see that you guys are one, indeed, they would know that this is not normal. When they see the unity, they see the love, they see the generosity, they see the kindness, they see the willingness to suffer for one another. And it's like, okay, what binds them together? I can understand patri um, patriotism. Okay, they are bound by commitment to Nigeria, if such a thing exists. <laughs> so, oh, okay, they all love Barcelona. Okay, I understand why they are friends. But when you see people from different races, people from different countries, people with different interests, people with different wealth levels, so it's, not, it's not even a thing of, oh, they all earn the same, so, you know, they're just, it's a networking group, <laughs> right? from different um, stratas in life people with different personalities people with all like different social standings loving one another seeing themselves as equals sharing all things in common being there for one another you then have to ask what bind I don't understand what is going on and then the answer is what it's Christ it's Christ it's Christ. And so as a church, we ought to hold hand in hand the message of the gospel, the power in the message of the gospel, talking about charismatic ministry, but also the power in the gospel in a changed life. In a changed life. So important. So important. And that brings us to the end of Titus. And just to summarize all we've read so far from Timothy and Titus, if I was to summarize it, I would summarize it um, 
the same way I heard a preacher once teach this and he called it the man, the message, the ministry, right? That is the summary of these three books that every believer should first realize that they are men. That is gender inclusive. <laughs> In case you're not aware. That you are first a human. And what does that mean? It means, just like we read here, you are someone who is full of weaknesses. Yes, full of strengths as well. But you needed salvation. You are a man. You are not a, you are not you are not God. You are a man. So things matter first as individuals. Your walk with God, your devotion. Before we even get to ministry, the fact that you are first a child of God. We even see it in Jesus' life all through his three years in the four books. What we see in the life of Christ is someone who first saw himself as a son of the father before savior of the world and so many times he will go out before they before they wake up to go talk spend time with his father even all through his ministry everything he did flowed out of that realization i says oh father glorify me with your glory before the world began father i thank you because you always hear me right john 13 haven't when he realized or is it John 16? I'm not sure. I think it's John 16. That all things were his and God had handed all things. No, John 13 actually. Feet washing. And he's like, then he was able to serve. Everything Jesus did flowed first from the realization that God is my father. Before ministry comes my relationship with God. As believers, never forget that. You are first a child, a son, a daughter of God before you are a servant, a man, a woman of God, right? You are first in the family before you serve the family's interest. So take it to heart. Take that identity seriously. Let it reflect in your devotion. Let it reflect in the fact that you, are, you need community. No matter how much God uses a person, they will never be above the needs. There are things in their lives that only a believing community can supply. Don't, don't, don't be isolated. It is, it is abnormal actually that we have communities now where pastors are seen as above the congregation, not as part of the congregation. Where it's like, oh, I don't know, leave them. They, they have their own thing. They don't need to do the things the rest of the church is doing. It's wrong. They're not friends. With the community they are in. They only pick up mic and speak and leave. It's wrong. You are part of a church. Part of a community. And everyone needs that community. You are a man. Realize that as a man, your character is important. We see that in Timothy and in Titus. The qualifications for ministry. He says what? They must not be this. They must not be that. They must not be. They must not be. It's who they are. Who they are. It says they must love their families. Husbands of one wife. So even their marriages come first. They must have kids that are respected and love the Lord. Parenting comes first. Why? You are first a man. 
you are first a man. With all that entails, you need the grace of God. You need constantly the work of God. You need people. That's the man. And then the message. Before we even talk about serving, serving, serving. Do you know the message? Which is the second thing Paul then goes on to describe. They must be able to teach. They must be able to teach. Do you hold the doctrine of Christ in high esteem? Do you fight for its integrity? Don't lose sight of it. Don't compromise it at any cost. Fall in love with it. Know it through and through. Be interested in it. The things we're talking about earlier, don't just say, ah, all this stuff, I don't care. <laughs> Leave me alone. I don't want to know. No, you must be interested. You must know the message. Paul says that you may be able to teach people. You may be able to correct. You may be able to confront opposers of the message. You are a man. You've received a message. In Fight for it. Preserve it. Preach it at all costs. In season, out of season, like we read in Timothy. When it's convenient, when it's not. When it's boring, when it's exciting. Don't, 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 don't feel the need to water it down. No. Fight for the message. In a world where the message of the gospel has been compromised. In a world where Christian gatherings, there's no solid teaching going on. Reject it with all your heart. Don't give in to that lie that, oh, and people can't sit down and just hear theology. People can't sit down and just study the Bible. Let's do other things. No. That's not what you receive. That's not how that's not how the early church functioned. Am I saying that Christian communities should not do other things? Of course not. We're a community, meaning every part of our lives, we can share it. And so we can share our humor. We can share entertainment. We can do that. There's nothing wrong in and of itself. But if it replaces the gospel, shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. And finally, you have a ministry, right? You're a man. You have a message. You have a ministry. And when it comes to that ministry, the word literally means to serve. To serve. See it as what it is. Service. You are a servant to the body of Christ. Yes, we live in an upside down or we, we, we operate in an upside down kingdom where the servants are the leaders but they are still servants they serve by example they don't lord it over people don't get too caught up in titles in I've done all do you know who I am do you know what I've done for the gospel so nobody can talk to you and this has nothing to do with honor in ministry, of course. We've talked about that. But as a minister, remember that it is the grace of God that has, that has given you the privilege to serve people. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's stewardship. What is stewardship? It's not yours. You are simply a caretaker. Simply a caretaker. It's not about you. And I think that is both a good thing and a bad thing. So it's a, not, 
no it's a good thing and also a warning so it's a good thing in the sense in which i realize that it is god's work and as a steward all that i need to get the work done he will give me of course we've talked about being a vessel unto honor and preparing yourself and that's what we talked about in the, in the man and the message but ultimately this is god's work this is god's field this is god's children and that's where the warning comes in it is god's work <laughs> it is god's children and so whatever i do or do not do i will give account to god everything i say or do not say i will give account to god whatever i do to represent christ paul tell he tell and peter tells the elders your representatives of christ as elders what I do, what I say, I will give an account. And so therein lies the warning. That's why James would say, not many of you should rush to become teachers. Why? Because you'll be judged more strictly. First, from the things you've said. And second, from the compatibility of your life. Because ah, but you were the very one that taught people to do this. Why then is your life different? Ministry is serious. Take it seriously. But as you take it seriously, remember its priority it doesn't overshadow the fact that you are a child of god it should never 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 compromise the things that characterize you being a child first your devotion your commitment to your family your commitment to your community your commitment to other believers amen and so with that i think we can uh wrap up our conversations on the books of ministry from first timothy second and titus i hope you've learned at least a couple things i've been reminded of a couple things since we started this year with first timothy next time we meet two weeks from now we're jumping into a completely different um theme i mean the book of second corinthians is literally one big defense of of apostolic authority it's a very interesting book um paul is going to take on a slightly different tone than we've seen him in most of his other letters just because of the the severity of what is going on in the church in corinth it's always Corinth, <laughs> so there's a lot to learn there but thank you all for sticking around this year so far at least with this first three books i would pray and then i'll take questions oh no i'll pray Share the benediction and then take questions. All right. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Titus. Thank you for all we've been reminded of, all we've learned. And I pray, God, um, that for every single person here right now listening to the teachings through the podcast, help our lives to reflect our confession let it be that indeed all you have done for us in christ will show in our interaction with the world help us to be believers that the power of the gospel shines through where we definitely are not like the world help us to live in a way that it is evident to all that we belong to your kingdom I pray that whatever weaknesses, whatever occasions for pride, whatever ways that we've been indoctrinated to act or to think 
or to live like the world in our lifestyles, in our choices, in our opinions. That even as we meditate more on this truth, even as we spend time in prayer, that you reveal to us by your Spirit. And that ultimately every one of us makes significant progress in our journeys to becoming more like you in deed and in conduct. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. All right, I will share my screen and then we will take a benediction. So graciously prepared to us by Buki and I. <laughs> uh, all right, give me a second. You're all welcome. Thank you so much. All right, feel free to unmute yourselves. Let us read together one, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word and the word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I am corrected. By the word, I am trained in righteousness. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, thank you all. Uh, it's always, always a pleasure.